Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu. As we look back at K-State's first loss of the season, a uh, 26-13 defeat to the Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, last Saturday in Stillwater. Uh, K-State was really never able to get uh, the offense going, and Oklahoma State was uh, able to be paced by uh, nearly 300 yards rushing by Chuba Hubbard as he paced them to a 26-13 victory over the Wildcats as the, as the Cats lose their Big 12 opener and uh, turn their attention to Baylor this week. So, uh, Dilu, it was a uh, not a great effort offensively for K State. Uh, I think I'd be, uh, I think that's kind of the main story here in this one. But uh, it was just a game that K State never really got rolling on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, uh, you know, on Friday night, I recall getting the news that Malik Knowles was not going to be in the game, and and then later on that night, somebody said. Well, how do you feel about tomorrow? And I said, well, I feel a lot less confident than I did before I got that news. Was that somebody, me by chance? Maybe. <laughs> uh, it sounds vaguely good. It was late on Friday night, so who's to say, really? But, um, no, and so it was just always going to be, as I've pounded on over and over this season, this offense works because you can pound the ball up the gut and then make defenses pay with the play action. And without uh, Malik Knowles, I think, that really hamstrung K-State's offense, in addition to some poor play from you know some other players. Thompson didn't have a great night. I don't think the offensive line blocked particularly well. Um, and so just an all-around uh, poor effort that was... Uh, further impaired by K-State's personnel issues. So let's let's first talk a little bit about the game plan. Um, K-State came out throwing the ball, uh, more so than maybe I would have expected, uh, especially being down uh, with without Malik Knowles, down your best receiver. With that being said, did you take a – I took a little bit more, because I know we've talked about it, but I've taken a little bit more of an issue with the play calling right out right out of the gate, even though the Oklahoma State was loading up the box with seven, eight guys routinely, uh, really daring K-State to throw, which they which they took that dare and did, but they didn't have hardly any success through the air uh, early on and went three and out. Let me see. I've got it pulled up here. Uh, went three and out. Um... First, Deep into the second quarter, yeah. Their I mean, first after the the first first down was came after the, yeah. the break. So one, two, three, four, five straight possessions of either three and out and punt or turnover on downs uh, on on four downs. So really not what you want there for sure to say the least. But uh, Casey wasn't able to have really success either on the ground or in the air. Would you have liked to see him stay a little bit more committed to the ground early on? Well, you could say that in hindsight. Obviously, I would have, if I could go back, I would try running it more. Um, but that's only because it didn't work passing. Um, at the time, I, I was pretty critical. I thought that K-State's offense, I thought maybe Courtney Messingham was maybe getting a little too clever for his own good uh, by coming out and throwing. But the thing you you have to remember here is that 
when what people mean by establishing the run is to get defenses in a position where they're daring you to pass. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you take advantage of it. Yeah, and exactly. so And so K-State's reputation right now, especially with the news of Malik Knowles being out, Oklahoma State is going to sell out on the run. In essence, on Saturday night, K-State established the run before but, they but, even but, took a snap. Yeah, get off the bus. And, much, so, yeah. and so it's hard to be too critical of coming out and – trying to attack Oklahoma State's defense through the air initially just because that's what was available. Yeah. Now, K-State failed that test in a big way on Saturday night because they showed Oklahoma State and really the rest of the Big 12 what K-State's offense looks like against a legitimate Big 12 defense um, without Malik Knowles. And I think that that's concerning um, depending on – how far in advance K-State's coaches actually had to game plan without Malik Knowles. Um, because I don't think that spells very good things in the future for this offense uh, in Malik Knowles' absence. But um, So, no, I'm not terribly critical of the play calling out of the gate. I know it wasn't what we're used to, uh, but I don't mind K-State coming out and being aggressive through the air if that's if Oklahoma State's coming out and stuffing the boxing king run right from the get-go. Yeah, and that's kind of how I anticipated this game going uh, from the, at least the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State perspective in terms of, I thought they would do whatever they could to really make uh, the run game difficult for K-State. And I thought they we would see a uh, eight, even nine guys in the box, depending on formation, uh, from time to time with with uh, with what Oklahoma State would do defensively and, and that's what we saw let's uh, let's kind of transition a little bit more to not necessarily getting away from the game plan but getting looking at a little bit more of the personnel uh, James Gobert with an early fumble put k-state in, in a in a tough situation uh, k-state already down a field goal and Oklahoma State scores a touchdown off that off a short field makes it 10 nothing. At that point, K-State, you know, really not having anything going offensively. Uh, but I wanted to kind of turn the, the attention here to uh, another performer, uh, Skylar Thompson. Probably, you could make the argument, one of his worst games as a Wildcat. Uh, let me pull up his line here. 11 of 23 uh, through the air for 118 yards. Uh, seven, of, seven carries for 27 yards on the ground. Uh, not a whole lot there as well. Kind of talk what you saw, uh, f- you know, kind of from his performance on Saturday. Well, the it's hard to tell a little bit just because you can't really see the route concepts based on the TV angle. What what, what are you saying about the crew at ESPN Plus? Uh, don't don't get me started. I I'm not a fan of ESPN Plus, but uh, it's no. I mean, at least from the camera angles, it's no different than any other broadcast. Sure. Uh, but. So it's hard to really evaluate Thompson in terms of uh, his performance without seeing who's open and who's not. Uh, a lot's been made of his refusal to sit in the pocket. People thought that he was rolling out too quickly, abandoning the pocket, and kind of panicking back there. And to some degree, I think that those are valid. I think that he was a little impatient in the pocket and that he rolled out too quickly. But um, in terms of evaluating his throws and non-throws, his decision-making, 
you know, my gut says that he just that our wide receivers just weren't getting any separation. Yeah, and so I, I think that's fair. And so you you have guys who aren't quite as quick, aren't quite as fast, trying to beat Oklahoma State secondary one on one, and I don't, I didn't see them break away. That creates a very short window for a for a quarterback to throw to. Um, obviously, it was a poor game by Skylar Thompson. I'm not going to sugarcoat this, but it's hard to distinguish who's responsible for that 11 yeah. of 23 line. Um, whether it's Thompson missing on throws, which he did at times, or uh, receivers just not getting open like they did throughout the first three games. Yeah, I think I think that's very fair to say. I think when you're looking at the quarterback's performance, you have to see what he has to throw to. And K-State's wide receivers going into the season, I thought were among the worst in the conference. And I was pleasantly surprised with how Malik Knowles had stepped up through the first three games. Uh, and, you know, really seems to me that he's Skylar Thompson's top target. Oh, absolutely. And uh, losing that to a, to a unit that, you know, is not long on talent necessarily to begin with. Let's just call it how it is. Um, a thin. A, a thin unit for K-State, I think, is how it can be phrased. Yeah, sure. I mean, you phrase it however you want. But without him, and it, it appears he's going to be out for a while. Clendon um, said that he's not sure if he's going to play on Saturday or not. But that may be a little Bill Snyder gamesmanship. Yeah, and I mean, that's also... I, mean, I would be lying if I said I know the extent of his injury necessarily, but I would assume that he might be out for a little bit longer. Oh, I agree. And I think that with that being said, K-State's going to have some real question marks here. They've got Baylor, then they have a bye week, then they have TCU, and then Oklahoma as they have a three-game homestand here in the in the middle of October. But you're playing against a team with, that Baylor, with Baylor that – they're not traditionally one of the stronger defensive teams, but you know I watched that game against Iowa State. I thought they played pretty well. Um, so we'll get more into the get more into Baylor here a little bit down the road. But I guess the my long winded explanation here is the question marks at wide receiver were there at the beginning of the season. They might have been quelled a little bit by the first three games with losing Malik Knowles. Those questions get pushed right back to the forefront uh, for me, and I don't know how this offense is going to be able to put enough points up uh, to win many games, really, without his absence. If that's, if you know, maybe it was a, uh, a thing where they only had a few days to really, uh, you know, kind of alter the game plan with Malik Knowles being out. But uh, whatever the case is, uh, they're going to have to do a lot better job offensively, game plan wise and execution wise if they're going to put up enough points. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, and I think that they're just going to have to change concepts. Uh, because this pound game relies on a deep threat. And that deep threat, unless all of a sudden Joshua Youngblood or uh, a guy like Phil Brooks or somebody with some speed is going to start showing up uh, in K-State's offense significantly then I don't know how they stretch the field to keep defenses honest and give guys like James Gilbert some room to run uh, between the tackles. You know, and there's ways that they could wrinkle some stuff in here. I mean, you can run some screens. You can do stuff like that to simplify the passing game, make it 
not so dependent on verticality. But um, even so, I, I think it's just going to be tough for this offense to operate when secondaries can creep so far up to the line of scrimmage and surrender one high or sometimes no, no safeties, yeah. uh, as we saw Oklahoma State do on Saturday. So, yeah, let's close the book here on the offense for a little bit. Let's look at the defense. Um, Chuba Hubbard, what, can, what more really needs to be said? 25 carries, 296 yards. A couple big ones, of course, an 84-yard touchdown run. Uh, Tylen Wallace, 145 yards receiving. That's really where their offense comes from, those two guys. Okay, Spencer Sanders. He adds 52 yards on the ground. Not really a huge factor. I mean, he he ripped off a, a kind of a long one, long one. But other than that, not a whole lot from him in the running department. Casey was able to do some things. Uh, you know, forced two interceptions out of him, and the, throughout the first quarter, you know, he looked a little shaky back there. Casey was getting some good pressure on him, uh, but the offense cons- consistently put the defense in really bad positions, and unfortunately. Unlike the Mississippi State game, where that defense was able to limit the damage in the offense for a long enough to where the offense was able to find their footing, uh, K State's offense never found that footing. But the defense, I thought, for as weird as this says, I mean, if you would have just showed me, you know, Chuber Hubbard runs for 300 yards and Tyler Wallace adds another 150 through the air, I'm saying, wow, the defense, they didn't show up. The defense was the issue. But I come away not really feeling all that bad about how the defense played. Uh, 26 points for Oklahoma State. Now, granted, that was a lot of bowing up inside the red zone and and forcing a couple turnovers and, and all those things. But 26 points for an Oklahoma State offense, that's not very many. Uh, that might be the lowest amount they score the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. That's As I was, I was walking home after watching the game, uh, I think I remarked to you that, well, on the plus side, that's probably going to be Oklahoma State's low score for the year, yeah, um, or at least the rest of the year. Um, no, that is the lowest. No, yeah, that's fine. They've scored forty or more. I, except, what did they score against Tech? I don't. Or Texas, thirty. Uh, thirty. Okay. Um, so, but right around and there. I'm with you though. It, it's weird to look at a performance where you give up uh, almost three hundred yards to the running back and then one hundred and fifty to uh, one of their receivers and think, you know what, the defense actually played all right. They played well enough to win. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just a product of being strong inside the red zone. Yeah. And it's also a product of just a couple big plays getting out from you to really, inf- I don't want to say inflate because it's hard to inflate, you know, a running back performance to 300 yards or close to it and say, well, aside from that 80-yard touchdown run, well, then it's still 220 yards. Yeah, exactly. But... uh Regardless, uh, you know, there were some long plays uh, that Hubbard run in particular um, where just some bad angles being taken, um, especially if I recall it right, it was uh, Goolsby who just took a really questionable angle, maybe misjudged uh, Hubbard's speed. But otherwise, I thought that the front seven did generally okay. Um and then for the secondary, you know, Tylen Wallace is good. Yeah, he's and, really good. And Hubbard's really good too. There are a and, couple. There are a couple balls that uh, that Wallace caught where the coverage was right there. I mean, the, I remember one down the sideline, coverage was right there, and 
I mean, that's why that guy's gonna be playing on Sunday. He, yeah, he, can, he can make some great, great. Uh, I mean, in in air, I don't know if there's a better wide receiver that I've seen so far. This this uh, I should say in the conference. I, I feel comfortable saying the conference, but he's one of the best in the nation. Absolutely, and his combination of route running and speed and just ball skills uh, is something that you don't see very often um, anywhere. And so, tall task for the secondary. Uh, Especially because Tylen Wallace isn't the only guy on the field either. No, they, they got they got a few other uh, and no one else really contributed. I mean, when you look at what they did, they had eight yards receiving from other wide receivers. Yeah, 145 to Wall to uh, Wallace and 153 on the day. So and so I'll tell you what though, this Oklahoma State uh, group of triplets with uh, Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, and and Shuba Hubbard. Very explosive. Very explosive. And if they had a little bit more experience at quarterback, if Sanders was like a junior or so, you would have to say this is one that's one of the best combos of a quarterback, running back, and wide receiver that you can find in the nation. Absolutely. And, you know, they're going to wish that Sanders was a little more mature and that he made some better decisions in the Texas game because other than that, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense was given up quite a bit at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but that's because Texas has a balanced offense. They can yeah. do it. They can make them yeah. pay through the air. Sure. And so if that's what K-State was lacking on Saturday. But regardless, uh, this Oklahoma State offense is very talented, and uh, the defense gave up some big plays. Uh, but that's, that's going to happen when you have uh, – when you have a more aggressive defense. Um, and so you, you put pressure on Sanders. You try to get some – you try to corral Hubbard, but when you play – you're playing with fire when you try to do that and you don't just fall into the bend but don't break philosophy. Yeah. Well, like I said, it was a uh, – not a great game for K-State, 26-13 as they drop one to Oklahoma State. Uh, let's quickly get our – turn our attention now to Baylor – uh, we welcome them uh, to Manhattan here this Saturday at 2.30 kick on ESPN2. No ESPN Plus this go-round, which is thing to the joy of many. Uh, but when you get a Baylor team, comes in here undefeated, not ranked, right outside the top 25 uh, in the uh, AP and coaches poll. But a Baylor team that uh, started off their conference season uh, beating Iowa State in a uh, back-and-forth game. Uh, Baylor got out to a nice lead. Iowa State... Came back, took a took a uh, took a lead here in the final few minutes, and then Baylor, who had not made a kick, I believe, all season, uh, goes down and hits a game-winning field goal uh, to win 23-21 over the Cyclones. And uh, you know, Baylor is a team who I was particularly high on, and we're going to welcome uh, Sam Bradshaw uh, on to uh, to give us a little bit of a more in-depth look at the Baylor Bears. But when you look at what uh, Baylor has has brought to the table so far in 2019, what are your kind of initial thoughts on them so far, Dilo? Um, well, Icon, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is the biggest game in, in Bill Snyder Family Stadium history. Is that a fact? You know why? Because it's the next one. It's the next one, man. And so uh, I think this Baylor team is kind of an interesting little, uh, little squad here. Um, they... Uh, I was able to watch the Iowa State game last week, 
And very odd game. It was. Um, it, I When I was watching, we were watching that game for the first half, and we both kind of, uh, neither team was able to really get much going offensively. And Iowa State has what's regarded as one of the better defenses in the, in the conference. And um, y- you felt like Iowa State was probably the better team. But Baylor just kind of was hanging around, you know, mashing up stop for stop, really. And then uh, that Baylor offense kind of got going, and they've got some playmakers. Uh, Charlie Brewer, I think, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the, in the conference and probably doesn't get the love he deserves nationally as well. But uh, in, in terms of also their receivers, they've got uh, they've got some frisbee-catching dogs out there. Yeah, they do. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, uh, 6'3". He is 176 pounds. Then you got Denzel Mims, of course, who is uh, 6'3", 215 pounds. They've got some I mean, athletes. it's just, it's pretty brutal. I mean, we talked to, it reminds me a little bit of that Mississippi State receiving core. Yeah, um, definitely physically imposing. A lot of size. A lot of speed. So the secondary is going to have its work cut out for him. And Brewer can put it in the spot that he needs to. Yeah. Not not a super strong arm on Brewer, but what he lacks in arm strength, he makes up with accuracy, getting the ball out quickly uh, to the right people, and he's got a little bit of uh, mobility to his game. So uh, definitely a capable offense. Yeah, that pass he had to Mims kind of in the corner uh, against Iowa State in the end zone uh, was just a thing of beauty. Uh, Iowa State had him in double coverage. Looked like they did everything right there, and Brewer put it right in the right spot. And so... This is an offense that uh, is going to test K-State's defense again. Um, that said, their last two games against Iowa State and Rice, not exactly what I would call uh, super explosive performances, scoring 21 in Houston against Rice and then 23 at home against the Cyclones. And so it's an offense that, you know, you think of Baylor's reputation as being this high-flying uh, shoot them up offense, but last two games they've uh, struggled a little bit to get find a rhythm on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and you know it's it's a bit of a different. I mean, obviously Art Bryles from the moment he really got things rolling at Baylor, they you could pencil them in for almost forty points pretty much. Every oh yeah, week. and uh, a little bit different uh, philosophy under under uh, Matt Rule. Um, not not maybe quite. The uh, the tempo that you that you would see under sure. under Bryles probably impacts their defense maybe to a, to an extent too where it, it uh, is a little bit stronger than some of those prior Baylor defenses but uh, interesting team I was really high on Baylor going into the season I had this game against Iowa State circled as a real um, kind of a differentiator between is Baylor uh, does Baylor maybe ascend to that uh, that top third of the conference does I does Iowa State uh, kind of use this as a springboard uh, to, you know, top third in the conference or maybe better? And, you know, you have to give the check mark to, to Baylor here as they won that one on the field. Um, so we'll learn a little bit more about Baylor here uh, from Sam, but I do agree with you. I don't know if I agree with you that it's the biggest game in Bill Snyder Family Stadium history. but uh, It's the next one. It's the next one. And that's, uh, that's the most important game on the schedule is the next one. There's no question about that. That's right. So uh, we'll uh... – We'll preview the Baylor game here shortly. Icon, anything else to close the book on Oklahoma State or uh, proceed this Baylor discussion? 
Nope, that's all. Uh, after a short little break, uh, we'll bring on Sam Bradshaw of Sikkim 365. Uh, he covers uh, the Baylor Bears there and does a great job doing it. Uh, he'll get you caught up with everything you need to know Baylor-wise, and uh, he'll join us after the break. All right, we are here with Sam Bradshaw. Uh, Sam uh, covers Baylor sports for Sikkim 365. Uh, you can read his work at Sikkim365.com as well as following him on Twitter at Baylor underscore S11. Uh, Sam, good to talk with you. Uh, Baylor off to a good start this season. Uh, obviously a, uh, a conference opening a win over Iowa State in dramatic fashion. Uh, how, are, uh, how are things going uh, down in the Baylor program right now? It seems like uh, you know, things should be going pretty well for them. Well, things are going well enough for them to throw an extension at the coach, so that's a exactly. good start to the year, to say the least. But yeah, this figures, is... and and he got extended through uh, what was it, twenty twenty four, or did I read that wrong? Or I I think it's even later into the decade. I'm not sure on the exact year, but I know it's a long extension. So well, he's done a great promising. job. Of- <laughs> He's done a great job of getting that program uh, really back to, in, in good shape after uh, you know what he had inherited. Absolutely. When he got there, you had a couple good skill guys to build around, but the offensive line was effectively gutted. And you had a lot of roster attrition across the board, whether due to injury or whether it was guys leaving the program. And he really steadied the ship rebuilt the roster and now you're in year three of a rebuild so you're starting to see them get a little better whereas last year they were fighting for a bowl this year you pretty much expect it given the schedule and they're gonna keep climbing they got to the uh, first big game of the year against Iowa State and they were able to turn it into a win and now they have the second big game of the year by going on the road to face a really good looking K-State team I know you guys came off a rough week this week but uh you guys had probably the best start to the year of anybody in the conference. So, Well, it was a good start for K-State. Came a little bit back down uh, to earth uh, with, uh, with what uh, they, they showed in, in Stillwater last week. But, yeah, this will be Baylor's first uh, trip outside the state of Texas uh, so far this season as they, they make the way to Manhattan. Uh, Sam, let's, let's kind of first talk a little bit about uh, this Baylor offense. Um, we look at what Charlie Brewer's doing. I know when I spoke with you uh, in the off season that you know I was particularly uh, high on Baylor, and you know most of that had to do with uh, what uh, with what they had coming back uh, offensively at the skill positions. Uh, of course, with uh, Charlie Brewer, uh, Denzel Mims uh, at wide receiver, uh, some really talented players. Uh, kind of through four games. Talk a little bit about what you see from Baylor offensively and and how they might match up with what I think is a pretty darn good K-State defense. Right, and K-State's going to be a pretty interesting challenge. Iowa State was certainly a little bit of an oddball with their 3-3-5, and in particular the blitz packages they used with it. That was a unique type of approach compared to a lot of the other teams Baylor's faced. I think the strength of this offense is as you mentioned, the skill positions. I think they're still finding their way at tight end. I think they're also, they've been shuffling the offensive line around a little bit. And while I think they've got the 
capability to be really good by the end of the year. I do think they're going to have some growing pains here and there. I think this is an offensive line that's going to be a lot tougher to handle in November than it is right now. Well, as I look over the last two weeks, Sam, uh, you know, 21 points against Rice, 23 points against Iowa State. Um, I'll chalk Rice up to kind of an aberration, but it seemed like uh, it took a little bit for Baylor to kind of get in gear on Saturday against uh, Iowa State. Now, obviously, Iowa State has a very fine defense, and Baylor was able to uh, do some things in the passing game with Charlie Brewer. Uh, in particular, that pass to Denzel Mims in the corner of the end zone was just a thing of beauty. But what was Iowa State able to do to frustrate uh, this Baylor offense? I think both teams in that game were able to get to the opposing standout quarterback a lot more than either offense was used to giving up. And took both of them about a half to really get to where they needed to be. I mean, the first half, both teams were held to mid to low 20s in terms of yards per drive. But in the second half, Baylor was at 43, Iowa State was at 39. So they both figured it out, and they started moving the ball later. But it took it took Baylor a while to get their protections right, and it took Iowa State a while to really just kind of settle down. And frankly, Baylor left a couple guys uncovered. But the big issue for Baylor against Iowa State was red zone points. I think Baylor had two and a half points per trip in the red zone, which is not getting it done. But they were, able, they were able to overcome it by forcing a turnover or two and getting a couple big explosive plays, which is what some of those outside weapons allow you to do. Well, and they do have those weapons, which, uh, of course, K-State, uh, you know, coming off the game against Oklahoma State, uh, I don't know if there's many more explosive uh, tri- set of triplets with uh, Hubbard, uh, Tylen Wallace, and uh, Spencer Sanders, but... Uh, Baylor's not lacking in, in terms of in terms of the skill position uh, at that uh, there as well uh, with the Bears. So, uh, Sam, one thing I'd like to uh, just kind of get your thoughts on real quick. I was uh, pretty impressed with what uh, Baylor did defensively against Iowa State. You, you know, getting um, getting pressure on uh, Chuba Hubbard, and uh, then of course a nice little stand there at the end, uh, force a turnover. Uh, you know, to, to salt the game away uh, in the waning seconds. But uh, it looks like Baylor's got a little bit, you know, stronger of a defense maybe than I anticipated them going into the season. Uh, what, what have you seen so far from that side of the ball here uh, through the first four games? Well, what you've got is you've got a 3-3-5, and the two defensive ends are James Lockhart, the uh, rumored strongest guy on the team, and then James Lynch, who's a freak of nature that can play nose for you. He can play completely on the end for you. He can play in the B-gap. He's 6'5", almost 300, runs a legitimate 4'8", and he's going to be a pro prospect. So those three they ask a lot of. Sometimes they're one-gapping. Sometimes they're two-gapping. And Bravion Roy at nose tackle is very good at that. So they'll put a lot on them. They'll drop eight guys into coverage an awful lot of the time. And then when they blitz, they'll bring it from different angles. They'll bring corners sometimes. They'll bring safeties. They'll bring linebackers. And they really like what they've got with Clay Johnston, who was mostly hurt last year. And that was a huge impact for the Baylor Bears, not only against K-State, but also several of the other games last year. He's healthy this year. He's moving a lot faster, and he made his presence known last week against Iowa State. Well, in in terms of the game on Saturday, um, 
obviously K-State's offense uh, going to be a little limited with Malik Knowles expected to be out again. K-State's uh, Skylar Thompson's top wide receiver target this year. Uh, you mentioned that Baylor will drop eight into coverage frequently. Uh, do you think that uh, Oklahoma State kind of provided a blueprint for the rest of the teams in the league, including Baylor, in terms of leaving uh, K-State's wide receivers and a lot of one-on-one matchups and more or less selling out on the run? Or do you expect Baylor to stick with the more conservative approach on the 3-3-5 side? Well, to a certain extent, I'm very cautious against betting on a college team to go against what they've put on film just because people tend to stick with what they do until they feel the need to change it. I wouldn't doubt that Baylor's seen that film. And it probably depends on how they feel they match up. And also after a half, how is Skylar Thompson doing? I think they're going to see, is he accurate on his man beaters? Is he missing on his zone beaters and go from there? I do think that uh, Baylor, since they've come to this scheme where they've had trouble with teams is where they've left underneath routes open in order to deny the big play. And if uh, Thompson and the receivers are having trouble with Knowles out, it might be worthwhile to break that trend, but I haven't really seen them do that yet, even against Rice, which you would you would expect a little more getting in the face of the receivers during that game, and you didn't really see it. But then again, half of that Rice game, it looked like they didn't want to go past page one in the playbook for obvious future opponent reasons. Well, uh, we're here with Sam Bradshaw. You can follow his work uh, on Twitter at Baylor underscore S11 and uh, as well at three or at uh, Sikkim 365 where uh, he covers the Baylor Bears there. Uh, Sam, going to hit you here with the uh, the, the staple of, of the short side option uh, called the three and outs here. Uh, Sam, the calendar switches to October. With October comes playoff baseball. Uh, are you are you into uh, into the Major League Baseball playoffs? And if so, uh, any team that you're pulling for in particular? Um, honestly, I've been just been head down on football. I'm assuming Kansas City is there. So uh, since the Rangers aren't in there, I'll I'll be pulling for Kansas City or Houston, just regional interest. Well, the the Royals are far from the playoffs this year, so we'll we'll take your we'll take your Houston answer. So <laughs> we we might be enemies right now because I I'm I'm a big Yankees fan, so. Um, an ALCS with uh, the Yankees and Astros seems to be a, uh, a popular opinion around around the world of baseball and would be an all-timer, too, uh, of a series, uh, of course, with those two powerhouses going at it. But, Sam, that's a heck of an answer to say that, you know, I'm not worried about baseball. I'm focused on college football because I'm right there with you. You know what? I'm rooting for the Royals, too, this October. <laughs> hey, you never can tell. They might, they might squeeze in there. So, uh, of course, and, and Sam, uh, secondly, I had looked up um, – that uh, while we were speaking, uh, Matt Ruel's extension uh, goes uh, through 2027. And, uh, you know, that's a ways down the line here, eight years. Uh, but let's say that he carries out uh, that um, and he's there through through uh, through those eight years uh, at Baylor. Kind of just walk me through, I guess, a little bit on what your thoughts are on how quickly that Baylor might be able to get, if the, if you may maybe even think they're there already, uh, where they are uh, as a, how quickly it would be until they're back into uh, into that Big 12 title game uh, type contention and competing for a conference title. I think the next couple of years would be the earliest you'd see it. I, I think 
2020 would be absolutely the earliest. Um, it just depends on how quickly they get the lines beefed up as much as they'd like and how quickly they develop those tight ends because the rest of the positions I really think are there already. And when you talk about contending for the Big 12, Baylor contended for the Big 12 every year from 2013 to 2015. But 2015, I think they came in third in the conference, but they were in the thick of it until the end. So yep. just being in the thick of it into November is what I would consider no, what I would consider meeting that criteria. And uh, finally, Sam, it's a big one. Uh, K-State, uh, about a two-point favorite, depending on where you look at, uh, as they uh, host uh, Baylor on Saturday, a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN2. You know, it's it's a game I feel that is a toss-up. I would probably say it's as you have two teams that's equally matched in terms of, you know, what I think that they have going in. Uh, kind of how do you see this game, and, and what's your prediction for how uh, Saturday's matchup will, will turn out? Well, this matchup concerns me from the Baylor side simply because you're running a defense where you're giving up a lot of easy completions normally underneath. And you're asking a lot of your front three, whether they be one gapping or two gapping, to really win at the line of scrimmage. And K-State's going to have one of the best lines that Baylor's going to see all year. Now, Oklahoma State went with some pretty heavy anti-run alignments and crowded the line of scrimmage with bodies. I'm not sure if Baylor's going to do that or if they're just going to stick to what they do. Given that, I could easily see a situation in which Kansas State's able to get some stuff going against that look. But at the end of the day, without Knowles there, I think Phil Snow will be a little more aggressive with Skyler. And I think Baylor will hit one or two explosive plays to just give them that edge. But Kansas State's going to be very dangerous this week. A good team with a lot of veterans on both lines that's coming off a disappointing loss. They're going to be focused. They're going to be ready. And Baylor's going to have its hands full. But I do think Baylor wins by a single score. Well, and Sam, I, I'm also curious, I guess as an additional question here for you, I, I know in our previous uh, discussion that, uh, you know, you really liked uh, the hire of Chris Kleiman at K-State. You thought he, you know, obviously had, had chops as a coach and, uh, you know, not only uh, as an X's and O coach, but how to run a program. You know, from what you've seen so far uh, through K-State, has your you know opinion been strengthened there, or you know are there any questions that you kind of have maybe about how things are going? But I know K State fans uh, by and large are pretty uh, pretty happy with how things have shaped up so far. Well, I think Kleiman got off to arguably the best start in the entire conference. Um, on the uh, stats article I put out for our site today, I tweeted it out with a picture of just kind of the yards per drive and the average field position start overlaid on that compared game by game and the first two games were just as much of a beatdown as you could ask for and the third game was not nearly that drastic but was still decidedly in Kansas State's favor so you have to like the early returns I do think uh, judging him is not going to be a year one thing it's going to be a year four and five thing because he did inherit an offensive line where you've got a couple guys that didn't that have started single digit games but everybody save one of your entire offensive line and your starting tight end have 30 plus games under their belt. And the weak representative of that has not has like 19 or 20. 
that's an amazing situation for him to walk into, particularly given the type of schemes he wants to run on both sides of the ball. Then you look on defense, and you're basically too deep across the board with people that have played in 20-plus games. And you've got two good linebackers right behind them. So I, I do think he came into a year where you have a lot of upperclassmen. So what that also means is I think you'll probably have a pretty decent year out of the gate. And then I think you'll kind of plateau until he gets his guys in there. And then I think he'll really take off. I love the hire of Chris Kleiman for Kansas State because I do think he'll be able to sustain a roster in Manhattan. And uh, that is going to be ultimately what determines it long term. But I, I think he's taking in a lot of seniors this year that will have to be replaced next year. And as that next group comes through is when I think Kansas State will make a run. Well, I think uh, that's I think that's really well said. He did inherit, you know, some experience on the offensive line. Uh, right now, the uh, the issue seems to be at the skill positions, but the basis and the uh, the foundation for what he wants to do offensively is in the trenches, and uh, that will be something we'll, of course, uh, take keen interest on in, in, in continuing to follow. So, well, Sam, thank you so much for taking some time to spend for uh, to taking some time uh, spending and breaking down Baylor with us. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, it'll be a tight one here on Saturday. I think that uh, I think we agree on that. Uh, but uh, in terms of what uh, Baylor uh, has got going on here in 2019, off to a good start. And, uh, you know, the schedule, I remember talking to you earlier, uh, their schedule is a little light up front, but it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see them getting off to a six or seven and no start. Yeah, it should be a fun start, but uh, behind that start, you've got the rest of the Big 12. And, I mean, West Virginia and Kansas proved it to a couple ACC teams. This this conference doesn't let up on you. If if you're if you come in flat, you have a very good chance of coming home with a loss. Yep, absolutely. Well, Sam, uh, best of luck uh, throughout the rest of the season for you and the Baylor Bears, and uh, we'll be sure to stay in touch. Uh, throughout the rest of the season. Thank you again for coming on with us. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Sam Bradshaw of uh, Sikkim365. You can find his work there at Sikkim365.com. And, of course, on Twitter at uh, Baylor underscore S11. Uh, drew some really good insight there as uh, Sam you know, breaks down Baylor for us and, and kind of what we should expect from them. Uh, now I'll ask you. Um, with kind of what you've seen from Baylor and after uh, listening to Sam, what do you think about the Baylor Bears as they come into town? Well, I think it's a, it's a quality team. I think that uh, that game against Iowa State last Saturday was a pretty wild game, man. I mean... Well, and that's the thing, too. Baylor is, came through three quarters. Baylor looked... It got ugly. I well, mean, yeah. I mean, and they had, a, I believe, a 20-point lead... And Iowa State scores three unanswered touchdowns. And, and at, one, they, at one point, I thought, man, Iowa State's going to win this game. Oh, yeah, it looked like they would. And, you know, I, I remember we were watching as, you know, we're getting ready to watch K-State. Uh, and they dropped the kicker out for no chip shot field goal. I think it was like a 43-yarder that he hit to uh, to put Baylor ahead. And I was shocked that he made it because with their kicking was that uh, Baylor's had not only this year but in previous years – uh, that hasn't been a strong point for him, but uh, cools the cucumber, steps up, knocks it through, and, and Baylor makes the plays at the end to uh, to secure the victory. That's right. So 
Uh, I think K-State's defense is going to have its hands full. Uh, I think the offense is going to have its hands full this week. Is it probably will every week uh, in the absence of Malik Knowles? Uh, but offensively, I expect K-State to try to get back to its roots this week, uh, come out and really attack Baylor on the ground. Um, you know, I I wonder if the mess will be more run-focused, um, even if Baylor does commit to stopping it, um, just get back to the basics. And I, I have to believe that with another week to digest the Knowles injury and trying to figure out a way for this offense to move the ball in his absence, uh, that K-State's going to try to figure out some passing concepts just to loosen up Baylor a little bit more, even if it's just underneath stuff, if it's wide um, pass, passes on the just quick screen passes do something to unclog the middle of the field um, where K-State likes to run the ball primarily and so I do expect K-State's offense to look a little better this week um, against Baylor uh, defensively man I I think K-State's secondary is going to have its hands full with uh, Charlie Brewer and this these Baylor Bears uh, wide receivers who are just monsters. Um, but as we saw against Mississippi State, this secondary uh, is up to the task when being outsized and maybe even outclassed by talented wide receivers. And so uh, all in all, I think it's, again, like we thought last week, two teams that on paper uh, should play a very close game. I think the line is uh, right around... Two and a half? Yeah, kind of varying. Yeah, K-State a slight favorite. Yeah, very slight. Um, in the game. Uh, I do see K-State coming out on top in this game. Oh, okay. Um, well, just because, like I said, I, I have to believe that the offense is going to uh, figure out a way to to uh, operate without Malik Knowles. Um, but uh, I see K-State winning this game. Um a, low, a lower scoring game uh, to the tune of uh, 27 to 24. 27, 24. Cats. Cats. Okay. Three touchdowns for the mess. Late second field goal by neat little guy. That's right. That's exactly what I expected. At the buzzer? Yeah, right at the buzzer, right as the horn sounds. Now, Icon, what, how do you see this game playing out? Well,. I um I have I share the same concerns. I think Baylor's got some real big time threats. Uh, of course, uh, out on the edges, we've talked about that already. No need to rehash. But they also run the ball uh, with a couple different guys: John Lovett, Jamichael Hasty, uh, Trusted Ebner. Those are guys that are that are explosive. And I think that Baylor, quite frankly, has a little too much offense for K State today, or uh, well, not today, but on Saturday, and. I have a little. I have far more concerns about what K State is able to do offensively than uh, than I do Baylor. I think K or I think um, Baylor's got the edge there at the skill positions, and they've got the edge at quarterback. And in a close game, I take the better quarterback. Give me Baylor. Twenty-eight to twenty. All right. So uh, Baylor winning by eight points. That's right. You see it as a similar game last week where Baylor was in control pretty much the entire time, or do you anticipate a bit of a barn burner? Or? Yeah, I see it. I see it a close game. I 
last week, you know, that 26 20 or that 26 to 13 score against Oklahoma State and the game was really never much in doubt for Oklahoma State. Um, I I see it being a little bit uh, tighter, you know, maybe uh, staying within a score. But I think Baylor just has a little too much firepower, maybe scoring uh, an, uh, a late touchdown, uh, you know, midway through the fourth quarter to to put some more length between them and uh, K State. And I I just think the Bears have I, I trust their offense a little bit more than where I'm at with K State right now, especially with the Malik Knowles injury. And uh, that's why I have to give the edge to Baylor on this one. All right. Well, I think this is the first game this season where we come out on uh, opposite sides. That's right. So one will be right and one will be wrong. You know what I'm thinking? What's that, Dale? I think we make a little wager on this. Oh, yeah? A little pour-over wager. Hey, man, I'm always good for a cup of gym, my man. Yeah. All right. Loser buys. Okay. Fair enough. Well, uh, that will do it here for our uh, Baylor preview. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank Sam for uh, making some time for us uh, here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, once again, you can find his work at Sikkim365.com and uh, on Twitter at Baylor underscore S11. That will do it here for the Baylor preview. And uh, after a short break, we will be back to highlight another in the long list of Wildcat legends and answer your questions and ask the icon. Join us after the break. Hey, that was pretty good Wildcat Legends, Rafi. Hey, did. thanks, man. I appreciate that. Join us after the break. All right. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, where we are getting into this week's edition of the Wildcat Legend. But before we do that, we'd like to uh, talk to you about our friends, Assurance Exteriors. Were you hammered? By that hailstorm last week in Kansas City? We'll go ahead and give our friends at Assurance Exteriors a call. Assurance Exteriors will help you out with your siding, with your roofs. And you know what? If there's hail damage, we'll take care of that too. So call our friends at Assurance Exteriors. Tell them that you were sent by the short side option. And you know what? They'll give you a free consultation or estimate. That's right, uh, d And you can reach uh, our friends at Assurance Exteriors at 785 231 8838. That's 785-231-8838. That's Assurance Exteriors. Total outward care, total inward assurance. And this week, Icon, our Wildcat legend hails from Rocker's Tie. He, did you say he hails? Ha! From Assurance Exteriors, baby. Ha! How about that? How about that? How do you like that? Uh... He's a defensive player. Okay. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm into it here. He's a defensive end. Oh, you don't say. And in fact, dare I say, he had an iconic play against the Baylor Bears. You have my full attention. He really kicked K-State's offense, I'm sorry, defense in 2003 into gear. Who could I be talking about? I have my guess. Other than Scott Edmonds. You know, Scott Edmonds, he had an injury late in his career, but before he, before he was injured, he earned second-team All-Big 12 conference honors from the Dallas Morning News following his junior season in 2004. Uh, and man, this guy was a beast. He had a 40-inch vertical, squatted more than 800 pounds, and ran a 46840. Uh, he set a position record in three-cone agility drill. Um, 
had 27 tackles and led the team with eight and a half tackles for a loss, seven sacks, three forced fumbles, and three fumble recoveries. And guess what? That was all in 2004. Wow. Impressive. Um, one game he had a career-high eight tackles, including three and a half for a loss and two sacks, and forced a fumble. That was all against Kansas. Um, he blocked a field goal attempt against Oklahoma. In another game, he recovered a fumble and posted a sack. That was against Missouri. Wow. But what K-State fans will really remember is a play against Baylor in 2003 in what was then called KSU Stadium. That's right, it was. Um, people forget that it used to be called KSU Stadium. That's right. I, I, I of course, did not forget that. I, I, me neither. Uh, but it was a play where uh, he knocked the ball down with his foot. Huh? How do you like that? Yeah, it was a crazy play. So he was coming off his um, defensive end position. Gets submarined by uh, whether if it was the offensive tackle, tight end, or running back, whoever was helping out on it. And he does a, a, a flip. Of course, the quarterback for Baylor is thinking, oh, well, this guy, he's going airborne. I don't have to worry about him necessarily. He's not in a position to really deflect this ball. No. My question is, how many times in college football history do you think a defensive end has batted the ball down with the back of his like calf. I don't know if you. I don't know if ever. I don't think. I don't know if it's ever happened. Besides when Scott Edmonds did it. But K State, of course, went on to route Baylor that day, and I don't think that game was even on television. Probably not, because um, I recall listening to it on the radio, and for the life of me, I can't find video of this. But, so if you give a video of this, go ahead and tweet it at Well, him. there's the famous picture. The famous but, picture where you can see the whole thing. But that's, I think that's all the evidence that exists. Yeah. Let us know if, if folks, uh, listeners of the short side option, let us know if, uh, if some video exists out there. We'll, we'll tweet it out of uh, the short side option podcast and, and share it with everyone. But no doubt a, uh, a really quite, uh, quite the play there by uh, Mr. Scott Edmonds. Um. Icon, uh, that, that'll wrap up this week's edition of uh, Wildcat Legend. We, we're a big fan of Scott Edmonds, and K-State will always remember him fondly. Um, Icon, I have some breaking news here. Oh. And so this is going to be dated. Okay. But John Holcomb is leaving the team. Wow, you don't say, huh? I do say. Okay. Uh, dear yep. Kansas State University, though my time here was brief, in these two short years you have brought me nothing but joy. The fan base, the atmosphere, the students, and even the professors. I love each and every one of you dearly, but after careful consideration and many conversations with my family and some close friends, it saddens me to say that I will be entering the transfer portal. You guys are amazing, and I wish my brothers nothing but the best for the rest of the season, and will happily cheer them on, but it is my time to part ways. John Holcomb. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's breaking news here on the short side option. Of course, we'll we'll wait. This will be posted first thing Thursday morning, so uh, this news will have made its round by then. But uh, we're kind of reacting to it live right now. Uh, let's uh, kind of dissect this real quick, uh, just kind of off the hoof. Makes some sense to me personally. It it does. Yeah. Why? What makes you say that? Well, the t- I I I talk timing wise. So. With the transfer rule, mm-hmm. uh, four games, 
you know, he wouldn't want to have to burn another year of eligibility. Well, I guess actually he's already two, redshirted. He's already redshirted, so maybe not quite sure on that exactly, unless he plans on, in terms of saving another year of eligibility, in terms of uh, that whole perspective, that he would go down, down a level. Uh, whether if it's to junior college for a year and then, you know, get back into it or, um, you know, go to a smaller, you know, D2 type school, FCS. I don't think that's probably his plan. But, uh, yeah, I guess timing wise, uh, I had, I'd forgot about his red shirt. So timing wise, not great for K-State uh, as they, you know, we, we've experienced some quarterback injuries in, in the past. And uh, we know that that can, you know, come up real quick. I think that he probably sees that he's not going to be able to get on the field um, for the next two years in, in the fashion that he would like. There was some obviously some clips of him, uh, you know, lining up catching catching passes pregame against Oklahoma State. There's been speculation that he's been working with receivers and tight ends, uh, you know, throughout uh, throughout maybe the the fall part of the the camp here, uh, leading up to games as well. So, I guess it doesn't really surprise me a ton, but you know this is the world uh, that we live in now in 2019, where uh, you, you will see these midseason uh, transfer declarations, and maybe we shouldn't be too surprised if you are. Yeah, and uh, I guess from my perspective, it's just uh, it's another skill position player in an offense that is uh, a little thin in skill positions. Whether they w- whether he was going to move it to tight end or just be a different concept in there doing wildcat stuff. Um, but we'll continue to monitor that. And also too, I want to just reiterate this. I mean, obviously he's, he's able to make whatever decision he wants to do um, with his, uh, with his eligibility. I would say though, just because you enter the transfer portal doesn't mean it's a, it's a done deal. He the the option would he could still come back to K State, of course. Um, theoretically. Theoretically, right. but odds are, you know, let's say Skylar Thompson gets injured against Baylor, and I wonder if Holcomb will still be around the program or not. I I would doubt that he is. I would be surprised if. But he's you, you did see a suits up. You did see a situation with uh, uh, Keaton Thompson at Mississippi State where. He entered the transfer portal, uh, and then after the injury to Tommy Stevens, where he was, you know, his his um, his availability was a bit under question uh, going forward. You uh, he he got back on the team. So curious to see if maybe something like that might take place or not. But uh, if this is the uh, the final that we hear from uh, Mr. Holcomb, then you know we wish him nothing but the best. That's right, and uh, you know, I—it's a shame because man, he had a heck of an arm on him. I don't know uh, how accurate it is because just haven't seen it. But you've seen videos of him throwing it flat-footed about 60, 70 yards or something like that. So uh, certainly a talent. I'm sure he'll find a home, um, and uh, certainly a loss for K-State's offense as we move forward. Um, but now. We're going to turn the page on that. We'll continue to digest that. Can we? I, I don't know if we had with the breaking news update. Did we? Did we tie a bow on on Scott Edmonds? Uh, yeah, but let's. 
I'll, I'll, I'll tie a better bow on it just okay. because... Because he deserves it. And my mind was, wasn't where it should have been as I was wrapping that up. Um, Scott Edmonds, absolutely a legend. Um, for so many reasons. He's re- best remembered for the past block uh, with his foot. But, uh, you know, put up crazy numbers. Heck of an athlete. And that, my friends, is why he is this week's Wildcat legend. All right, Icon, we are now going to move into our final segment on the show, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the Short Side Options' very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he'll answer them. And the way you do that is by tweeting at us or doing a number of other things, uh, but Twitter is the easiest way to get a hold of us, and you can do that by sending a tweet to our uh, Twitter account, which is at T-S-S-O underscore podcast or using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Our first question this week comes from listener Justin Brownlee, at BrownleeJustin. Justin writes, Icon, let's pretend that the California bill transition happens, and it's not as smooth as the all-knowing sports journalists claim. Boosters can pay anyone for quote-unquote autographs and can pillage other rosters. Which Big 12 teams have the most risk of entering a season nowhere near 85 players? Well, uh, that's a great question, and I'll be frank. Just be be the icon. Well, Del, do you think you could maybe get me up to speed a little bit more on this California bill? Just a a quick sparks, if you would. I, you know... I don't know. I, I don't know all that much about it. Just from, folks, I, you know, I don't really worry about this kind of stuff. I've got things like film breakdown that I have to that I dedicate a ton of time to. Push ups, push ups, sit ups. Um, also, I've got the MLB playoffs going on right now. I, I'm really more focused on that than you know what. Whatever those loons out in California are, are putting through their, their out state in, house. Out in Hollyweird. Yeah, I, I don't have time for it, okay? I'll, I'll be frank, but, but uh, deal, go ahead and, and, and catch me up to speed if, if you would be so kind. Let me give you my limited understanding of this, what I think the bill says. I think it's a name and likeness sort of thing where players can profit off of their name and likeness, receive money from third parties, essentially, um, from what I can tell, it wouldn't be the schools paying the players. It would be boosters or brands or local stores paying them for endorsements or, as Justin suggests, autographs, uh, autographs or basically signings, picture, you know, basically that kind of peppercorn transactions where it's really just here's $10,000 to go play at Nebraska or Oklahoma or Texas or USC or K State. And so what. Justin is envisioning here is that all the haves will uh, get all the players and all the have-nots who can't afford to to be competitive in this new marketplace will be left with roster deficiencies. Yeah. So Justin is asking yeah. which get, programs in the Big 12 would be up a creek if this were to go through. Well, I think you have to go uh, start. Let's look at the, uh, the list of schools in the Big 12 that uh, – Maybe don't have the the strongest alumni backing. Um, you'd have to think maybe Baylor, K State, TCU. At the TCU's got not a huge base of alumni, but they got that uh, 
they've got you know somewhat wealthy alumni from my understanding. Uh, I think you know, probably K-State might be at the bottom <laughs> barrel of that. I think they'd be near it. Uh, so I, I'd hate to answer K-State here, but that might be the right answer. I think, I think K-State might be in a little trouble, too, uh, in this brave new world uh, that Justin envisions. Now, it's a long way to go. Yeah, there's a long road to hell on it's this. It's a lot of speculation in terms of how this would all operate, the extent to which teams would benefit or um, be impacted by this. But uh, at first blush, I, I tend to agree with you that K-State would be in a tough spot there. Well, I know K-State fans have great passion, and you know they, they, uh, they love their team. So I don't think that K-State fans would – I think the average K-State fan I don't think would have any issue um, if top-rated, if, uh, you know, Doug, let's say, for example – Top-rated quarterback recruit out of Kansas City was between K-State and maybe KU. That I I don't I think K-State fans would empty out their 401ks, pay pay the penalties, do whatever it takes to take it out early to make sure that Doug is uh, tossing the pigskin around for EMIU. Yeah, Doug put up some good numbers last year, by the way. Yeah, keep an eye on him. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, Justin. We'll keep an eye on that uh, through the coming weeks and months years, decades, however long this takes uh, to develop. Uh, next question or listen. Next question comes from listener Mahomes Season at KSU underscore funny 33. He asks, hey, Icon, would you care to weigh in on the new uniforms for Saturday? He says, just kidding, of course. Any comment? Yeah, I'll comment. Um, I, it's great. I don't, I don't, I don't really care. Um, just hope that uh, K State plays a little bit better. If you if you care worry so much about uniforms, <coughs> maybe head up to Fifth Avenue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they folks seem to be very excited about it, but uh, you know that excitement will probably wane if uh, K State comes out on the short end again. So, uh, you know, of course, it was making its rounds on social media. Um, quite frankly, I don't care about that. But K State, uh, you know. Fans have been clamoring for it for a long time, so uh, they get their wish there. All right, next question. My home season has a follow-up. Okay. It better at, not be about uniforms. At KSU underscore funny 33 asks, with the struggles moving the ball against the three-man front, would you have liked to see us try something different on offense? Perhaps a short side option? You know, I think I did mention I'd like to, you know, we weren't getting much going on with the power run game. Um, really not even trying to establish much of a power run game uh, between the between the a gap. Uh, however, no option came into uh, to, to play, and that was disappointing to me as someone who is a you know first of all a K State fan, but second of all a huge uh, short side option enthusiast. Um, not to see that you know kind of hurt a little bit. It's a little disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's right. Maybe uh. Coach can look to institute that. I know he listens. Yeah. I know he does. Of course. And, you know, Coach, uh, I, I, I'd like to see the uh, short side option uh, get added to the mess, so to speak. I think about the that. Messingham mess. Yeah, that's right. That's what I call the offense. Or that's what you call the offense. I'm just, you know, gassing that up a little bit for you. Well, I, th- I think I saw it refer to that on uh, goemod.com. And I think that that's where it started. Oh, okay. 
Okay, well, all credit there then. But that's uh, that. I think that's a clever, uh, clever name for it. All right. Next question comes from listener Easy Stevesy at S L Keck. Easy Stevesy asks, "Hey Icon, longtime listener and longtime question asker, can you compare all Big Twelve teams to types of chips?" Wow. Um, okay, so K State. Lay's potato chips. All right. Solid. Not flashy, but solid. All right. Uh, Don't feel compelled to offer explanations, but feel free to. Okay. Well, as I go ahead and pull up the uh, the list of chips. No, I'm just kidding. The list of Big 12 teams uh, here in in the conference. I look at uh, look at the cream of the crop. The Oklahoma Sooners. Mm-hmm. And you have to go with the best chip on the market, which is um, cheddar and sour cream ruffles. Strong choice. My personal favorite. Um, Oklahoma State, uh, we'll go with like nacho cheese Doritos. Uh, Baylor, um, original Sun Chips. Uh, Texas Christian, um, We'll come back to them. Uh, <laughs> KU Funyuns. Yeah, just because. Texas. Uh, we'll go with like some really solid, like maybe barbecue uh, kettle cooked uh, Lay's chips. Oh, yeah. And I love those too. Those are those are terrific. Um, Western Virginia, like Art and Mary's tater chips. Solid. Solid stuff. I, I they just yeah first came to no, mind there. Very good. Uh, Texas Tech, oh, Tostitos. Yeah, tortilla chips, man. Yeah, tortilla chips. And uh, then our friends up at Iowa State, um, go salt and vinegar, uh, kettle corn or kettle, uh, kettle cooked chips because they're always a little bit salty about the officiating. From That's time to time. true. Uh, Texas Christian. Um, we're going to go ahead and say um, they're just um, they're corn Doritos. Yeah, that's that's it. Oh, corn Doritos? Yeah. Those are horrible. You think so? Oh, nightmare. Okay, well, that's 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 uh, that's my... Uh, Asked and answered, though. Yeah, there, there we go. Very Caught good. me off guard there a little bit. I had to kind of think of my feet for a minute. Well, Easy Stevesy's going to keep you on roller skates for a little he, bit longer. He always does. He always does. What album did Skyler listen to after the Oklahoma State game to help him feel better? Listen to Jock Jams Volume One. That's a good album. Get him, kind of get him his mind right. Yeah, that's what he, that's what he listened to. That's right. All right. Next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Goema. Trim asks, "Have you, the icon, been able thus far to successfully insulate yourself from all the uniform talk coming from those people?" You know, it's tough because it was a, um, it was a. Um, Really a uh, big hit. Uh, obviously, K-State fans were all over it, uh, so tough to keep keep away from it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't – I'm not overly active on social media. I uh, do more reading than I do talking uh, on there, so to speak. But uh, overall, um, you know, if, they, if people want to get fired up about it, go for it. But you won't see me join in on it too much. All right, Icon, we're going to – Settle things down here okay. real quick. <laughs> Tell me no more uniform questions. There's no more uniform okay, thank questions. We're good. We're done with it. We're just going to take a stroll on over to a place we haven't been in a while. 
Philosopher's Corner. Oh, I'm glad that this is back. Cat Kid asks the following. <clears throat> Chairman Mao advises, quote, When we look at a thing, we must examine its essence and treat its appearance only as an usher at the threshold. And once we cross the threshold, we must grasp the essence of the thing. So he asks, what is the essence of the brave Wildcats defeat in Stillwater, Oklahoma? What is the essence of it? That's right. Well, a couple different ways to look at this. With when I think of the essence of what the defeat brings to Casey, I look back at what we covered earlier. Offensive inefficiency. You need to find some receivers, that's what the essence is. Well, that wouldn't hurt either. But sometimes you have to make a hand with the cards you're dealt. And uh, Courtney Messingham, Chris Kleiman, and the rest of the offense uh, and coaching staff is going to have to uh, have to scramble something together because uh, it's not going to get any easier. There was a lot of question about you know how how good is the Big Twelve really going to be this year? And you see, I think Oklahoma State's a little bit better than what I what I had thought uh, going into the season. And uh, really, all things considered, not a bad loss. I think any K-State fan, and I think you would, you would uh, echo this, is that uh, with K-State being 3-1 and one after four games, we're ahead of schedule you know, for where we thought we were probably going to be in the season. Um, and all things told, K-State has a really good opportunity here. Uh, these next two games, both very winnable games at home, K-State's about a point-and-a-half favorite, I believe, uh, against Baylor this week and should be about the same next week against TCU. Uh, just kind of barring on how action takes place on Saturday. But uh, they have a pretty decent chance to become a 5-1 out of this uh, as they go into the Oklahoma game, which that means probably a top 25 ranking and a, a big showdown with Oklahoma. But one game at a time, uh, as you said, the biggest game on the schedule is the next one, and uh, that brings us to Baylor Bears. So That's right. So, But Essence, got to find some offense. Got to find some receivers. Got to find some receivers. Got to find some offense. So, uh, D'Lo, I think that does it here for this edition of the Short Side Options. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of wrap up here? Any final thoughts on Baylor or anything else? Uh, Holcomb News? Anything? No. Huh? No, there's not. I don't have anything. Uh, I, I'd just like to tell the listeners, thank you for listening. Um, we're, uh, we're so lucky to have, to have them. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right, well, folks, that'll wrap it up here for the short side option uh, in uh, this week's episode. Uh, thank you for listening uh, to the short side option. Let us know what you think uh, on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast or uh, give us a review uh, wherever uh, you're listening to this podcast at. Uh, that'll do it here for us on the short side option. Thanks for listening, and go Cats! <laughs>